All right. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Uh, we want to again welcome all of you as we study the Sabbath school lesson together. And uh, we are just so blessed to have with us uh, the panelists that we do. We have uh, Brother Ricky Mark, uh, my brother from another mother. Uh, so good to have our, our good elder, uh, Elder Farrington, who is the all arounder and the mayor, uh, Elder Arbery, our good elder as well with us today. And so uh, we're going to jump right into it because there's so many good points that we, we really need to get to. And we're going to begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, bless us now as we open up uh, your inspired writings. Uh, help us to draw closer to you from this study. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we do want to remind you, we want to remind you, please, 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 like and share this broadcast. If you're watching us right now, please like and share this broadcast. Do not keep this blessing to yourself. Uh, but this week's lesson was entitled uh, Joseph, Prince of Egypt. And I love the memory text, which comes from Genesis chapter 41 and verse number 41. It says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And I want to ask the question to you, Elder Farrington, if you could help us out, help us out with this. Um, how did Joseph rise to power? In your estimation, uh, how did Joseph rise to power? What's your take on it, Elder? Well, it's, it's interesting when we look at the, the life of Joseph, we find uh, recorded there a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges that he faced from uh, first being the probably I'd say the desired son of a father from a certain woman that he worked many years for. And you know about the coats of many colors and things of that nature. But when I when I think about the life of Joseph, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Philippians. And if we look at Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 13, it lets us know we, we have this um, often quoted scripture. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so we like to look at that and understand that, yeah, that is true. But what Paul wrote prior to that in verse 11 is very interesting to, so we can understand how Joseph rose to power. He says that in uh, Philippians the fourth chapter, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and how to abound and everywhere and in all things I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. And then he says, I can do all things which uh, through Christ, which strengthens me. And the reason I start there and not with Joseph is because uh, when we look at the, the life of Joseph, we see a series of events happening to him. And I like to say that um, I don't know which came first, but I use this uh, this this paradigm here or this uh, uh, this illustration before every promotion. There is a demotion or you can look at before every demotion. There's a promotion because you see a series of ups and downs in the life of Joseph. 
He goes from being a favorite son to sold in slavery. Uh, I, I mean, he's, he's taken out of a pit. Now he's demoted and he's taken out of a pit. Now he's he didn't get too much better, but he's sold into slavery and he works in Potiphar house. And and not only that, he he's get the, the assignment to be head of all the, uh, of goes on in the house of Potiphar. And we know what happened to Potiphar's wife. And then he's now put in prison before every uh, promotion. There's a demotion. He's brought up out of prison when he interpreted dreams and he tell the bacon, the butler, say, don't forget about me. One did, the other one didn't. Now he interprets a dream of Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh um, uh, uh, then make him second in command. And, you know, you know, the story about the the, the seven years of plenty and, and the drought and then how his family came looking um, for for food. And, and then again, he brought the whole uh, family came and moved into Egypt. But Joseph eventually died. And he said, when, when you guys leave here, because he believed in the vision that God has given him, he said, don't leave my bones here. So they dug him up before every demotion, promotion, there's a demotion. And so he goes down the grave, but he comes back up. But guess what? They had to bury him again. Now he's waited in his final resting spot for that final promotion. And so when I when I look at uh, what Paul state that I have learned to be content, Joseph, uh, what I call accepting your Joseph assignment is that no matter where Joseph was, uh, was in a stage in life, he always kept true to his service and duty to God and fellow man. You know, when Joseph was in prison cleaning toilets and, and scrubbing floors, he did it to the best of his ability. Uh, when he was making beds and making sure the cutlery was set around the dinner table, even though he was a, a, a pretty much a higher or not so much, I don't know if it's indentured because he was basically in slavery some, to some uh, extent, but he did it to the best of his ability. So Paul says, I know how to abase and how to abound, but I don't let that uh, uh, interfere with my relationship with God because a lot of times we serve God, <laughs> we, we lift hands when things are going great. But when there is a moment of conflict, when there is a moment of hardship, we, we start to pray less and we start to worship less and we go into a shell. And then when we get something wonderful happen to, we come to prayer meeting and we give a testimony. But we don't have that same testimony when things are going awkward or going awry and so Joseph lets us know that no matter what experiences we encounter in life is to accept our Joseph assignment because God will allow some things to happen to you, a demotion, but he's always looking for the promotion for you and I. Amen. Amen to that. I really do appreciate that, uh, Elder. Um, and so as we we move along. Let's move along in our lesson. And I think you, you said it best that here it was. Uh, Joseph was successful. Uh, no matter where you put him, he was going to be successful. Uh, when he was a servant or slave in Potiphar's house, when he was in the prison, uh, when he was by the side of Pharaoh, he was successful. And I, I want to ask this question to you guys. And, and Ricky, maybe you could start us off uh, with this next question. Um what are some ways people can see God in our lives? Now, of course, when Joseph took over, even Pharaoh had to declare, listen, there's something different about Joseph. He has a different spirit. He has the spirit of God in him. But what are some ways that people can see God in our lives? Uh, what's your take on it, Ricky? 
Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Pastor, for having me on. Happy Sabbath to everybody here, all my elders and, and pastors here, as well as those of you watching both at home and in the sanctuary. Uh, well, there are, I think, three ways that I can think of right away. There's, well, through the gifts that God has given, given us, uh, through our conduct and through our faith-based worldview. Uh, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, I remember just a few years back, I think back in 2017, I was still in Paris and I was having uh, I was having lunch with a very special friend of mine. And I distinctly remember when we were just having a conversation about life, she seemed struck by the strange air of peace I had about me, as well as the way in which I answered questions and approached different things that were happening throughout the day. And it got to the point where she had she she just straight up asked me. She asked me, are you are you religious? Are you a Muslim? Because, of course, generally speaking, you know, it, it's normal for, you know, people of color that happen to uh, be faithful in Europe. They tend to be more Muslim than not, ironically enough, in a Catholic country. I don't know. That's a whole nother thing altogether. But my answer, quite frankly, was no, I'm not. I do. Excuse me. I do believe in God, but no, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And the thing that was interesting there was. Um, not only was she curious about it, but the the gentleman who was running the, the restaurant that I, that we were in at the time, he was overhearing all of it to the point where when I came back the next time, he had questions for me. It sparked a bit of a spiritual uh, curiosity that many have within them, that divine spark that allows them to rediscover that which may have been lost when Adam and Eve first fell. Another example I can think of is... Um, the spring semester of my first year of law school when I went into my contracts final and I distinctly remember sitting down knowing because knowing that I did everything I was supposed to. I had a certain kind of peace in my heart. And one of my classmates was looking over at me like I was an alien, like, dude, why aren't you freaked out right now? Why aren't you worried? And I was like, well, I it's not it's not in my hands anymore. And he found that unusual. He found that strange. He found that peculiar. And when I say the word peculiar, I'm reminded of a particular text in the New Testament where we are described as a peculiar people. And in many ways, that was reflected in that moment because it wasn't my knowledge of the information or of the concepts that we learned that semester that gave me peace. It was that I was there because God put me there and nobody else. And the only person that could take me out was God not the adversary. So when I think of the ways people can see God in our lives, yeah, it's through the gifts God has given us, whether it's a, a special talent, a singing ability, an ability to preach, uh, or through how we behave, uh, if we uh, conduct ourselves righteously, and through the way we view the world, which is often represented in the way we talk to people and how we answer questions or even provide advice when it's uh, offered uh, or when it's requested. Amen. Amen. I appreciate that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I want to pass the baton to you, Elder Arbery. What, what is your take on that? What are some ways that, that people can see God in our lives, just like they were able to see God in Joseph's life? Uh, certainly. And, and good morning, everyone. And, and, and uh, Brother Ricky and Elder Farrington, I left very little there because they, they really summed it up. Uh, but I will simply add this uh, through the testimony of others. Uh, one of the things that happens, of course, is that uh, what we see in the life of Joseph, uh, as the elders and uh, elder and brother Ricky uh, aptly appointed, uh, uh, stated, 
was that he lived a life um, that uh, the king himself, the, the pharaoh, uh, actually saw in him something so special uh, that he began to declare that there's nobody like this man, right? Uh, now, under, we we really have to understand the fullness of this. Understand a slave, uh, right, uh, from another country uh, who's now in servitude, he sees in him something so great that, as, El, as the elder pointed out, and the lesson points out, that he elevated him to second in command. Uh, see, we got to understand that what God has for us, God has for us. But sometimes he will take us through very difficult circumstances and some very strange uh, circumstances. Uh, sometimes we don't understand what he's doing, but God is always trying to save us. And so this was uh, so what Joseph went through was actually for the benefit, not only for him, but of his country. So uh, the way that others see us, um, the way that we stand in the face of adversity, how do we deal with it? Uh, do we continue to honor God in everything that we say and do? Uh, when we do, others will begin to see it. Uh, Brother Ricky brought up an ex uh, 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 an example of some things that happened. One of the things uh, uh, for myself, and I don't know that it's still there or not, um, I had a situation where uh, uh, at my job, you should always be who you are. Um, uh, one of the great playwrights wrote, uh, to thine self be true. And if you are a genuine Christian, be a Christian all the time. Uh, one of the things that happened in my job once was that, um, and this goes to, the, to your question, Pastor, uh, we had a, an employee there who was very intimidating. She she intimidated the supervisors and everybody because they were afraid uh, that this person could actually cast spells and voodoo and different things on them, right? And so one day I encountered the person and said, listen, you know, you claim to be a Christian, right? And, I, and I'm not assaulting your relationship with God or anything else, but you can't go around threatening people like this. Uh, you're here to do a job and you have to honor God in everything that you do, including on the job. And the person responded to me, you know, well, you know, well, you know, I, I, I tried you, you know, I tried to put something on you, but there's blood all around you. Uh, I, I, I just there's blood. You, you, you just covered by the blood. So I wasn't able to do anything. Uh, I walked away from there and I went to my office and started crying uh, because you don't know the impact that you have on others. Uh, you just got to live the life. And when you live the life, people will see it in you. And so how do we do it? by the life that we live, because that's the greatest sermon we're ever going to preach. We can preach and sing and do everything that we want, but how people see you, uh, is it makes the difference. Uh, for instance, in the sociological terms, they talk about the looking glass self theory. Uh, you are what others see. And so do others see Christ in you? And if they do, then Christ is in you. Amen. Amen. Some good stuff. Really appreciate that, Brother Ricky. Elder Albury answering that question by living the life, by living the life. That is the key. So so let's let's move along in our lesson. If we can, let's go to Monday's lesson. Uh, Joseph confronts his brothers. And I, I, you know, obviously, Joseph had a rough, rough few years of his life, you know, being thrown into that pit, uh, sold into slavery, imprisoned. And now he is like second in command in, in, in Egypt. And, and so uh, his brothers now come to Egypt because of the famine in the land. And, and we know that Joseph has a very unique way of treating his brothers and testing his brothers. And I want to ask you this question, uh, Elder Farrington, if you can uh, help us out. Uh, what lessons was God teaching all of Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, through this experience with Joseph. What, what is your take on it all? Why did they have to go through this testing ordeal? 
Well, we, we like to sing the song, uh, What God Has for Me, It Is for Me. And um, also, when we look at that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so a lot of times, um, well, well, specifically in this story here, they saw his dreams and his um, his vision as a um, an affront to them. You know, like we all going to bow down at you and you, you know, you, especially being the youngest and I'm the youngest brother um, for my mom. And and I always ha I had two younger sisters, but, you know, it's not like having a younger brother, somebody you can boss around and tell what to do and all that stuff. So, you know, I always before I knew this story of Joseph, I would say to them, you know, some things um, like, hey, when y'all get old, y'all can be begging me for bread and water. <laughs> And I didn't know the story of Joseph, but I was saying this to get back at them because they pushed me around. Uh, but the thing is, is that there was no respect for somebody younger, you know, in, in the family. You had this pecking order. And so when we, when we look at Joseph, you know, probably was saying, hey, you know, I'm not always going to be in this position. That we saw that these milk commercials um, when they show somebody who was young drinking milk and he was um getting passed on by girls at school and then all of a sudden they show a later picture of him in a different situation and so through through the uh, the life of joseph god was sharing or trying to understand uh, allow the um the brothers to see that he was the author and the finisher of that's their faith meaning that he had ordered the steps of this righteous man he had designed the course so that it will be a, a he being in a position to save many. And a lot of times we don't understand the, the rigors and the toils of life and understand that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And sometimes we try to take the pen and write it ourselves. And for them, they wanted to take the pen and to write the epic of their lives themselves. And so God is in control and God wants to let them know and us know that he is in control. And a lot of times we usurp that authority. And a lot of times we um, try to do things our way, but we see as, as the story unfolded, and there's so many layers to it that we can spend a lot of time on each one in terms of, you know, uh, how they treated him and him being going through the different ordeals and then they being, um, brought into his presence again. But the overarching, overarching theme is, is that God is in control of uh, what God has for you. And he, Joseph said, sums it up and says it in the end that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And while this was not, I don't excuse your action, but God knew that you guys would behave this way. And he orchestrated all this to happen because of your activities to put me in a position now where that dream, that vision I had shared with you so many years earlier would come true. And it was a learning experience from Joseph as well to continue to learn and trust and depend on God. And imagine if he had negated uh, uh, um, early morning uh, um, prayer meeting or service with the family. Imagine if Joseph wasn't attentive, you know, um, under his father's care, you know, the same father that wrestled with an angel we know to be God, all night long. Imagine if Joseph didn't have a relationship with God and when all this happened, we wouldn't have this account of Joseph turning out the way it did. But because Joseph had a relationship with God, he never uh, faltered or failed or let go of that. And that's an, um, a, 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 testament, a testament to Joseph on staying true and holding on to God no matter what happens to us. Amen. Amen. I appreciate that, Elder. Appreciate that. 
and hopefully you can help us out as well. Ricky, I want to ask you that same question. What lessons was God trying to teach Jacob's sons through this experience with Joseph? What, what is your take on it all? Well, I think one thing that comes to mind when I see this is that you can't run from your wrongdoing forever. Uh, eventually, whether you repent or not, you're going to have to face and be held accountable for them in some form. Uh, now, for example, we don't know if Joseph ever truly told Jacob what it is his brothers did to him. I don't believe that was recorded in the, in the text. Um, it doesn't appear to be covered there. But what we do know is that Jacob's trust in those men, which was already frayed by the time Jacob was deported into Africa, had been broken for some time, except for Benjamin the Younger. And when we see this, it's not only that you can't run away from this wrongdoing, it's that there are times in life when people, for hateful reasons, will despitefully or spitefully mistreat you. And you must have it in your heart to let that person, to let that go and to forgive that person, maybe even 70 times, seven times, as a certain Messiah uh, uh, once said. Uh, because it's not just so that person can be released from guilt, but for yourself. Because in many ways, I, I liken it to a saying that people often say about revenge, for example. When you go out to exact revenge on someone, build two graves, one for that person and one for you. You don't want that sort of, um, that sort of enmity. You don't want that sort of negative, that negative spiritual energy to continue to build up and compound over time because if that does eventually it will reach your neck and you'll go underwater and you won't be able to breathe whether it's spiritually physically whatever it's amazing how these sorts of things manifest uh physically not just spiritually emotionally or even mentally and so as a result i think it's so important to understand that we've been wrong it's true we've been wronged in life and not you're not always going to get an apology for that sort of thing, but do not become a slave to your emotions. Do not become a slave to hatred, because once you do that, the devil is waiting. He's lurking in the tall grass, waiting to devour. He is he's right there waiting for you, and he's looking for the, the right opportunity to, for, to, to basically attack. I mean, if I could take it back to an earlier Sabbath school lesson with regards to Cain and Abel. Cain was downcast after his... Um, after his offering wasn't respected or approved by God. And so the devil was waiting for that opportunity and he struck and we saw what happened. We saw what happened as a result of that. So ultimately, when it comes to all these things, yes, you can't run from your wrongdoings forever. But at the same time, it is super important to forgive. And if there's one thing I know, we are taught to use Christ as a model. This was an individual. This was a being, the being, the one while they were subjecting him to the worst kind of torture imaginable where breathing and speaking alone is extremely difficult if you understand the physics and the concept of crucifixion when they were crucifying him he found it within himself in the midst of all the pain the suffering the torture this was a man acquainted with sorrow considered to have come from the quote-unquote ghetto of of israel nazareth no nothing good comes from there where your accent tells people where you come from he found it within himself to 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 cry out father forgive them for they know not what they're doing people don't always know what they're doing but you in your relationship with god you need to be above that you need to elevate that and i understand it it's easier said than done 
Amen. Amen to that. I appreciate that. Well said. Well said. Now, again, Elder Arbery, we've been missing you and uh, and we don't want to to miss uh, any opportunities. I know you want to always have some great insight to some of these questions. I don't know if you want to jump in on this or we can move along to this question. Uh, I'll just speak uh, briefly on it. Uh, One of the lessons learned, of course, is uh, we used to have those old sayings. What goes around comes around. Mm you will reap what you sow. The Bible teaches that. And so they understood uh, when they came before Joseph and they began to bow down to him, it fulfilled uh, that portion of the dream that he had, that that was going to happen. So he uh, uh, realizes that in order for them to fully understand the gravity of what they did, because uh, again, the reap, you will reap what you sow. Uh, he takes and throws Simeon in jail for three days. Right. And uh, Simeon obviously was the ring leader of it all. Uh, because he cho- he points he takes him and points him out and sends the other brothers on. Uh, he did it not to be cruel. See, there are times when God would allow, as uh, Brother Ricky was stating, that God would allow uh, the re- the just reward of your actions for you to reap those. Right, and there are times even Paul himself said, "I, I man, I, I still got this thorn in my side." Because he remembered what he did prior to meeting uh, Christ on the Damascus Road. So there are times when God, when He will forgive us. Uh, but there's reminders of what we did uh, so that we will ever have before us um, that uh, we did something in the past, but God has forgiven us. Uh, now, can you imagine, however, uh, that Simeon now has the opportunity to understand what it's like to be captive? Uh, his brother riding off on that slave on the back of that slave wagon, uh, never to be seen again, they thought. All he did was come now to give them food. He was coming on a mercy mission. And what did they do? They sell him in slavery. Now what he gets an opportunity to do is find out what it's like, because all uh, Joseph did was bring them food and ended up on the back of a slave ship. All they did was come to buy food and he ends up in prison. So there are times when what you send out comes back to you. And so we have to always understand and ask ourselves this question. What I'm getting ready to do now, can I deal with it if it comes back to me? All right. All right. I appreciate that. Good stuff. Good stuff there. And so um, I like what what you said there, Elder, um, that what goes around comes around. And then, of course, Ricky, you said it best as well, that you can't run from your wrongs, the the wrong things that you've done in the past. So I want to ask this question. And Elder Farrington, if you can can help us out with this, why is it important to make things right for the things we have done wrong? Why is it important to make things right for the things that we have done wrong? Well, you know, you got to understand, for the most part, when we do something wrong, in the, uh, there is a appall, a, a cloud of guilt and shame hangs over us. And sometimes we don't show it. But it has a physiological, physiological, psychological, spiritual impact and a physical uh, impact on us um, when we knowingly have abused someone and things of that nature. And and it, and it remains there. And a lot of times, you know, a person may not know that inner turmoil that you're going through um, when you have taken something or you lie behind somebody's back or whatever it is. And it releases you from all that guilt. You know, it impacts your blood pressure and every, you know, a lot of part of your, your, your physical being and your spiritual being. So when we, when we look at the benefit of of releasing that that guilt in terms of forgiveness um when do um you say why it's important to to make things right for when we have done wrong 
first and foremost, it serves us probably more so than the other person. But when we look at the other person, sometimes people walk uh, are walking around and wondering, what have I done to you that you would treat me that way? I thought you was my friend, my brother, my husband, my wife. Why would it be that, you know, after all I've done, you would do this? And we look in the life of Christ who who created us and he's blessed us so much and he redeemed us and, um, you know, and how we, you know, uh, relate to Christ and our Christian experience. And it's necessary for us to seek forgiveness. But the, the important part is, is that to release that overhanging cloud of, uh, of guilt and that, that weighs us down and impacts us so much. And a lot of times we feel too, um, selfish in that regards and, uh, or don't want to, well, our, our past president, you know, he, he, he was never recorded saying, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. Or, you know, it's that pride in, in us that sometimes don't allow us to go back to a person and to admit defeat that we had a wrong analysis or opinion, or we said something that we shouldn't have said. And uh, unless we get rid of this prideful attitude, we already know that pride goes before the fall. And it's necessary for us to not let that be our downcoming and so that we will allow that to hinder someone else's re relationship with Christ. Because a lot of times a person themselves who've been wrong um, won't move forward until they hear something physically coming from a person's lips that I'm okay. Because now they're harboring um, a, a sense of retribution or a sense of, um, you know, I'm going to get you back or I, I would never, you know, see you as a friend or anything again. And so it allows both people to move beyond a point. I heard something years ago um, that, um, you know, a, a motivational speaker, Eric Thomas, said, he says, you're no older than the last thing that you haven't gotten over. You're no older than the last thing that you haven't gotten over. And also it could be said, you're no older than the last person that you haven't forgiven. Because a lot of person, although they're up in age, they still could be 10, 12, 15, 20 years ago, and, and a lot of years could have passed. And so when, when you allow that guilt to remove, you can start growing again. Both people can move beyond that spot. If there's somebody owe you money, if you see them again, you're always going to remember that. You know, until you say, hey, don't worry about it, or that person pays you or whatever. So a lot of times we don't get beyond uh, um, that fracture relationship until we have forgiven. And it's necessary for repair of the soul. And I encourage all. And it's, sometimes it's hard to do to open our mouth and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But when you do, you realize that there's a release. And then, you know, that that is gone from you. Even if the person doesn't accept it, you've done your required part. All right. Amen. Amen to that. I really do appreciate that. Um, let's. Let's 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 try. Um, we want to, I guess, encourage those of you who are watching us. Those of you who are watching us, please like and share this broadcast. Don't keep it to yourself. And then, of course, comment below. Be a part of our discussion. But but Ricky, could you could you jump in there? I mean, why is it important to make things right uh, when we've done wrong? You know, it's it's kind of interest funny that uh elder farrington mentioned forgiveness the way he did because i'm praying to god every day that the department of education is equally as forgiving um these student loans are real 
people. Okay, I'm just going to say that right now. Anyway, back to church business. Um, but look, it's true. It's important to make things right because, quite frankly, we are duty bound to live in harmony with one another. Um, it, just imagine if Cain and Abel had actually lived that way. It could have perhaps even changed the course of history. You know, we have a duty to live peaceably with one another. It's so many things are happening in this world right now that are happening wrong between people. I think I remember one someone once said this. I forget who it was that actually said this, but I'll try to paraphrase it. The streets of America are flowing with the blood of individuals that look like us four because someone felt disrespected. And I think about that and I think of all the people that have been taken before their time because of a disagreement that could have just ended with an, uh, with words and agree to disagree on certain issues as opposed to the violent end that it did. Too often in this world, this increasingly violent world, we see wrongdoing just spreading everywhere, violence everywhere, family in homes and churches and in schools. And yet we ask ourselves, like, why are these things happening? There's a lot of evil and there's a lot of spiritual amnesia taking place, because when we think about the fact that we are taught these things, we are taught how to live peaceably with one another. We we are even taught how to settle disputes in the Bible. And these things aren't being applied the way they used to anymore. These things are being forgotten. It's important to make things right for the things we have done wrong, because quite frankly, we have a duty to ourselves, both you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to address things within us that could be holding us back, lest they spread and remove us from the picture altogether. It is a powerful thing to witness how sin can capture and poison an entire, not just an individual, but an entire family, an entire spiritual body, even an entire church. These aren't exempt. And if it starts with us, if it starts with how we address these things and our willingness to not only be accountable for what we've done wrong, but to recognize that we are accountable for what we've done wrong and to make that known for those that we may have actually wronged, I think that will put us on the path to healing, reconciliation and prosperity moving forward. There's no other way at this point. And quite frankly, unless we do that, we are going to see the same problems uh, revisiting. Uh, we're going to see the same problems visited upon us over and over again until we choose to say to ourselves, you know what? No, enough is enough. God, I need you. I need your help. I can't do this by myself. Uh, you know how stubborn and proud I am, but I need to look past that. If you need to bring someone into my life to humble me and to, to help uh, facilitate my redemption story, then so be it. But I need this done now because this can't continue the way it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Uh, well said. Well said, Ricky. Um, looking at the comments, of course, Sister Cerise, our superintendent, SAB School, she really liked your comment uh, about our student loans being forgiven. I'm with that as well. But let's let's try to move along because time is winding down and, and bear with me because I'm going to try to get to the end of this this lesson. Um, but obviously, we know the story of Joseph and it ended. Happy ending. Yes, he had to spend time 
uh, in the pit in prison. Uh, he was mistreated by his brothers. But in the end, uh, that dream came true that his, his, his brothers had to pay homage and respect to him in the end. It, it ended well. And so Joseph was able to to handle the situation well because it ended up in his favor. But but I want to to ask this question because life is not fair and, and not uh, everyone gets to have a happy ending like Joseph did. And, and I want to ask this this question to you, Elder Arbery, if you could start us off with this. Um, how can we learn to hold on to God when life seems to be unfair? And that that's the beautiful thing about Joseph is that no matter where he was, he held on to the Lord. He could have gave up his faith in Potiphar's house and slept with Potiphar's wife, but he held on to the Lord. He held on to the Lord in the prison. And, and I want to ask this question to you. How can we learn to hold on to God when life seems to be unfair? What's your take? Uh, yes, and thank you for the question. Now, just before I do, if I could just go back for just a moment on the previous question, then I'll come right back. Uh, it, it is important in terms of just the forgiveness. If we expect to be forgiven, we must forgive. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 18 gave a very poignant uh, uh, a parable uh, concerning the man who refused to uh, forgive, who had been forgiven more. And in fact, uh, it was calculated that the man owed so much money he could never repay the debt. Uh, but yet the king decided he was going to forgive him. He had compassion on him after he heard his story. He had compassion on him and forgave him. So no sooner than he's forgiven, he goes out and he sees somebody, Elder Farrington, uh, mentioned of uh, seeing somebody who owes you something. Uh, no sooner than he sees somebody who owes him something, less than uh, a week's worth of pay. And he grabs the man by the throat and threatens him, give me my money right now. And uh, the man tried to use the very same appeal that he used to the king who had forgiven him a debt he could never repay. And he says to the man, no, uh -uh, uh, not going to happen. And he throws him in jail. King hears about it and decides, okay, that's how you're going to do this. All right. So what you just did and that thing about going up, what goes around comes around. King takes and, and, and takes out his, takes the forgiveness that he had given him, wipes it off the books, throws him in jail until he can repay the debt. Now the story doesn't tell us exactly what happened. But because he had a debt that he could never repay, he probably died in jail simply because he refused to forgive. Now, as it relates to the question, one of the things in terms of just making sure that uh, you can still remain faithful to God is to always remember, number one, who God is. Uh, in order for you to be able to do that, you have to know who he is. Uh, the God that we that that created the universe and we read about it in scripture, who spoke out in the midst of nothingness and called forth the worlds that we now live in. The same God yesterday brought you to today. Uh, he blessed you. And when we begin to understand how God blesses us, even when we don't see the evidence of our blessing, the fact that we got up and have breath in our body is a blessing. And when we realize that the God that brought us through the trouble that we were in yesterday is the same God that will bring us through. Now, it all it is also important to, to make mention of the fact that if you've never had an experience, then it's going to be difficult for you. Uh, there are times when we have to be honest. If you've never had an experience where God brought you through, then you don't know how to hold on. Uh, but when you realize that at birth, all right, Elder, um, I don't know. I guess there must be some technical difficulties there. So we'll pass that that question over to Elder uh, Farrington, if you could help us out with that, how can we learn to hold on to God when life seems to be unfair? 
Well, uh, I, I think it's a gradual process. Um, it, it's like playing, sorry for the shaking the screen. It's like playing um, sports. You know, you get better over time in that. Um, you know, you're able to shoulder more of the load. It, it's life, life experiences that we go through. We can, if we can um, trace God through all those experiences as things start to pile on a little more because the challenges you face as a child is going to be different as the challenge you face as a man or a woman. But if you had God through those experiences early on, it would help you when life seems to be uh, unbearing and, and, and the load seems heavy. And that's what happened in the life of Joseph because he had Christ in his life from an early age. And as the, the troubles mounted and, and the difficulties increased, he still had that constant, and that was God. And we have to realize that we have that constant that is God that's going to be with us. It's easy to sometimes fall back on um, what we know. Sometimes, you know, uh, the, the flesh take over or, or the streak comes out of us when some things have happened and we, you know, we may make shortcuts or take shortcuts or, or we may say certain things or we may tip the scale somewhat in our favor instead of waiting. But when we learn how to trust and depend, and it's a growth process, it's a growth process for a new babe coming into the faith. They have to learn, you know, faith and trust and dependence because they have may have relied on themselves for so long to provide and produce things. And now you're in a situation now where Christ asks us, he said, come unto me, all your labor and heavy laden. And he asks you to say, bring it to me first and I will provide for you. But we're, we're so much sometimes in a habitual state of mind where we do things that comes natural to us and we try to work those things out, out on our own. I think we can find much grace, much solace and much peace and success if we understand that Christ, who has been our constant from the time we we're born and before the worlds were, were created, can be with us in our most difficult moments. Now, it, sometimes, Ricky stated earlier, it's easier said than done. That's why you have to grow in grace. You just can't get there overnight. It's not an experience because if you if you find yourself um, in in a, in a situation that you may seem that it's unbearable, and most situations you know we can ascribe as unbearable for the most part, is we have to understand who is our cup bearer, who's the person that can bear our load. And if we don't know Christ, we won't know peace. It says, "No God, no peace." No God, no peace. You know, I think that's how the expression goes. It's like you're going to have peace with God. And if you don't have God, you will have no peace. So um, that's would be my uh, response to the question. Amen. Amen to that. I appreciate that. Elder Albury, we lost you. Uh, I don't know if you want to finish your thought that you had. Yeah, and my apologies for the technical difficulty. I'll, I'll just end by simply saying this. Uh, what I would encourage anyone to do is go to the book of Job. And read uh, Job. Now, understanding before you begin to read that, and I'm sure everyone has, uh, Job had no idea, well, or, or I'm sorry, had no prior experience uh, regarding what he was getting ready to go through. Uh, but through it all, he held fast. And at the end, God rewarded him. There are times when we have or will go through some things and we don't, we've never gone through that particular thing. And so we don't have the evidence of how God can bring us through it. But because of the experience we've had before, we draw from that and know and understand that the God that brought you through that trial is the very same God that can bring you through this trial. All too often, we sort of demand that God performs. It, it, it's as if every new experience requires a new miracle. 
And that's just isn't how it works. Uh, God has, has, has shown us time and time again that if we simply hold on to him, if we trust him, even in those moments, as the old folks used to say, where we can't trace him, uh, that he will bring you through. He brought you through yesterday, delivered you to today, stand and be a witness to the fact that God is able to bring you through if you simply trust him and hold on to it. Amen. 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 And so, um, Brother Ricky, we're going to let you have the last words on this this question. How can we learn to hold on to God when life seems to be unfair? You know, I, I think it starts with remembering, remembering everything that we have been through. I mean, it's very easy for a lot of us to lose sight of the fact that by simply being alive is a miracle in and of itself. For those of those of us, I'm not one of them, but for those of us that are parents, uh, we've witnessed the miracle of life and how from scratch you have human beings that are living, breathing, crying, eating. You know, every time there's an altar call, a hand goes up. You know, we've all seen those things. And the thing is with this is, you know, at the risk of sounding repetitive, yes, it's easier said than done, but it must be done. It shall be done and it will be done. I'm reminded of two particular sermons that I heard not too long ago. Uh, a, a, um, a very familiar pastor just seven days ago talked to all of us about the idea of how prior experiences prepared him for that major experience that allowed him to see through or not see through, but to get through that experience. I'm reminded of a, a sermon titled, Does God Care from last year? that you can all go back and look at either on this channel or on DOZ Weekly, our weekly uh, church podcast. Um, and the reason those two, those two messages, those two words are particular, particularly special to me is because, you know, the issues, the burdens that we have to carry through life are relative to our own experience. You know, it's hard. I can't say that my burden is worse than somebody else's or something's better than mine. It all depends on how we see the world and what we are going through uh, individually to a certain extent. Life is already unfair. Uh, we live in a world where by having melanin, it's a lot more unfair than the average other person. By looking a certain way, by being a certain gender, a certain income bracket. But the truth is, it was never promised to be easy. What the Bible taught me growing up is that it will be worth it in the end. I'm think, I think back to the early church when they were facing persecution from Nero and some of the other Roman emperors at the time, how people were being crucified daily, disappeared, persecuted, beaten up in the streets. And yet there was this sense of hope that you could see through the, the, the very text alone that spoke of how this is tough today. But to borrow something I remember telling one, someone one, uh, one day not too long ago, when you look outside and, and, and it's dark out, depending on how you view this, the sky, it could either be an endless night, you're enshrouded in darkness, or a prelude to a glorious sunrise. The Saturday night before Jesus rose again, I can imagine that the disciples and many in the fellowship thought that man, it's over. Everything we have worked towards is pointless and hopeless. Not realizing that just in a few short hours, the earth itself 
was about to shake in a way that it had never shaken before. And that someone was about to rise from something that was long thought finite and endless. The Messiah himself would rise up. We have been given examples of hope in the midst of hopelessness, hopelessness, life in the midst of death, happiness in the midst of sadness, uh, wealth in the midst of poverty. And I'm not just talking about money. Our job is to remember those things. It's easier said than done. But so long as we do our best to remember these things, apply them to our faith daily and strengthen one another in, in these sorts of times. This is how we can learn to hold on to God when life seems to be unfair, because, of course, it's easier said than done. That's true. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I've never questioned God during bad times. I would be a hypocrite if I said I never did that. But the reality is, no matter how dark it gets at night, Joy comes in the morning, and the morning is guaranteed. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well said. Uh, really do appreciate uh, our panelists today uh, for uh, such a awesome study. Awesome study. Now, um, you guys did a phenomenal job, did a phenomenal job, and I know that the people are blessed. Now, again, those of you who are watching us, again, we just beg of you, please like and share this broadcast so that others can be blessed. Now, what we also want to remind you, if you've not gotten enough of the study of the Sabbath school lesson, beautiful thing is, is that this afternoon at 3.30, 3.30 p.m., uh, we will have an afternoon discussion uh, of our Sabbath school lesson. Our superintendent, Sister Cerise, will lead us out in that. And what we'll do, we're going to send out the text alert, the text alert uh, to uh, those of you who want to be a part of that. And how we do send out the text alert is through our text service. And so if you've not signed up, please text the word add to the number that's right there on your screen, 561-468-3873. Please do that. And of course, we'll send out the Zoom uh, information later on this afternoon. And so before we close, of course, this weekend is a packed weekend, of course, Father's Day weekend. And so we want to wish happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Uh, hopefully your family can spoil you. Uh, a lot of times we love to spoil our, our mothers and, and rightfully so. Uh, but it would be good that you spoil the fathers as well this weekend and so they can enjoy. And then of course, on Monday, Juneteenth, Juneteenth celebration. And uh, that is a wonderful thing. Of course, now it is a, um, a federal holiday. Praise the Lord for that federal holiday. Hopefully everyone has Monday off. So, But we're going to end with a word of prayer. We're gonna end with a word of prayer. Elder Farrington, if you could just bless us with, with our closing prayer, please, sir. Yes, let's bow our heads. Dear God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to worship you in prayer. We thank you for an outpouring of your spirit that um, you said would be another comfort and should teach all things and bring all things to remembrance. So for what we have discussed, for what we have seen and witnessed, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will, uh, will um, use these words of, of instruction, of comfort and guidance to edify you and others that will come in our contact with us who will be seen through you, um, through uh, through us, and having in a, um, a presence in our lives, I would draw them closer to you. Forgive, forgive us, bless us, and keep us in your wonderful name. We pray, Amen.
Amen. Amen. And please join us for our divine worship service that starts at 11. Uh, I'll be the speaker speaking on the subject required classes, required classes. God bless you all, brothers and sisters.